we do have a big problem that mm -hmm. there are 40,000 cannabis prisoners still you know, languishing in prisons all across America for often things as simple as possession. Mm -hmm. And that is just wrong. There's no, there's no way that I can be a champion of the legal marketplace that's emerging now and ignore that fact. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, I'm speaking with Danielle Simone Brand, who's a freelance writer and the author of Weed Mom, the Canna-Curious Woman's Guide to Healthier Relaxation, Happier Parenting, and Chilling TF Out. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's for the bleep out, and that's through Ulysses Press. And Weed Mom is the first and only book made just for busy moms and packed with tons and tons of different advice and background and history. So welcome, Danielle. Thank you, Ronit. I'm thrilled to be here with you. I'm so happy you're here, and it's it's funny to me because I've been connected to you for a while on social media, but I just realized recently, oh my gosh, I have to have you on the podcast, and you apparently <laughs> had the same thought at the same time. I did. I was It was such serendipity. I thought about your podcast one morning. I was like, oh, that'd be cool to be interviewed by Ronit, and then you asked me that day, that <laughs> same day. So it was so wild. weird. Like, I don't know what happened. I mean, I love stuff like that. So I knew about your work. Uh, for anyone listening, I knew about Danielle's work, and I knew what her platform was, and, you know, Weed Mom was the book, but I hadn't really explored it myself, you know, on a personal level. And I just love the style that you take in this book. I mean, there's so much I want to say, and we'll get to a lot of it, I hope. But in general, like from the opening page, your book is so approachable and so warm. And I feel like your writing style is not just accessible, but really, I feel like you you look at your own behavior and your own patterns and you are inviting the reader to kind of come along the journey with you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I did try to do that. I wanted this book to be, you know, like, uh, like I was taking someone's hand, you know, a good friend's hand and showing them this new world of legal mm -hmm. cannabis. And I wanted it to be approachable and entertaining. And, you know, I definitely had to reveal some of my flaws for that to yes. happen. <laughs> yes. And we're going to talk about that, too, because I mean, there, I just want to I want to really emphasize uh, that there is so much in this book and it's amazing. So if what we talk about sounds good to you, then you should definitely go get the book and we'll circle back about how to do that afterward. But the first way, the, the way you begin your book is that you, you talk about alcohol. It's almost like a love letter or an, a breakup letter actually to alcohol. You're addressing the, the preface of the book to alcohol saying that you have to move on and you're done with alcohol. <laughs> and I, I'm curious what made you, I loved it because I think there's a lot of conversation, at least in my circles these days about how alcohol is affecting us and some people are giving it up or reducing because COVID sort of increased the alcohol consumption for a lot of people I know, including myself. So you wrote this book and had it published before COVID was playing a really big part, I think, in our alcohol consumption. But can you talk a little bit about why you decided to begin the book as a, as a breakup to, you know, a breakup with alcohol? 
Sure, yeah. You know, so this that particular piece, um, it's the preface of the book now. It was published in Civilized.life um, January 2019, so right, right at New Year's in 2019, mm -hmm. and that's a cannabis uh, public publication. And it was, it was me sort of officially coming out of that green closet, as we sometimes <laughs> say, <laughs> and saying, like, look, I really enjoy this plant, and it helps support me in so many ways that, you know, go way beyond what alcohol ever did for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, I enjoyed alcohol for a large part of my life. I certainly, um, you know, it was my go-to for socializing and relaxing. And, you know, but but I, I always felt like there were some negatives to alcohol with the way that I felt, you know, often during imbibing or the next day, um, even if I were drinking moderately, which I always did. I never had, you know, any sort of excess problem with alcohol, mm. but it just didn't make me feel good afterward, even though I would enjoy that giddy social thing you know mm -hmm. while while consuming and so you know when I discovered legal cannabis I wasn't you know it wasn't until I was in my late 30s and I, I clicked with it it just really resonated with my body with my mind with my spirit with my energy and I realized yeah I actually don't need alcohol at all anymore mm, right and it, it is a funny thing to think about doing something I mean if you think about it objectively with out a real long history of imbibing or doing drugs or anything like that what would we willingly choose to do that made us feel really good and then the next day or the, the time following it made us feel really bad that we would continue to do right, right. like it doesn't make any sense if you think about it <laughs> um right so i know so, i know yeah so go back for me you know just before we start the journey deeper into your process what were your earliest impressions or relationships with cannabis even before you met your husband? So I grew up in Hawaii, which, as you probably know, has a strong cannabis culture. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would say that I grew up kind of on the periphery of that. Um, and I knew a lot of people, even in high school, who consumed cannabis. And I guess it was kind of a joke, like, oh, yeah, that, that person's a stoner, whatever, you know, it, mm -hmm. it, <laughs> yeah. which now I understand there's so many ways to use the plant and I, I don't need to rely on those stereotypes anymore. But, mm -hmm. you know, absolutely, I think for a while I just thought of it as someone else's um, you know, other people's thing. It just wasn't my thing. I didn't, I didn't understand it because, you know, I talk about this in the book, the legal marketplace really gave me tools to understand what I was putting into my body or inhaling or whatever, you know, whatever mode I was using to consume. And that's something I just never had with, with the, the legacy market. That's often the, the term that we use to, you know, refer to the illegal market. The legacy mm. market just didn't offer any of that, you know, information about the percentage of THC, the other cannabinoids that might be in there besides THC, the terpenes, which also affect your experience pretty profoundly. You know, these are parts that we're only discovering now with cannabis mm. science progressing. And so mm -hmm. I, I guess I would say that my relationship before was I just didn't understand it and I didn't get it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, you speak candidly in your book about in early on too, about marital troubles you had an affair you had mental health, you know, for you and for your husband. Why was that important for you to include? Yeah, you know, it wasn't easy to write about that stuff, for sure. My husband and I went through a really rough period in our marriage. This was about five years ago by now. 
and um, came very close to getting a divorce. I, I won't lie, and he, he actually filed for divorce on our 13th wedding anniversary. Fun story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, it was a, a really difficult, really confusing time for me, but also out of that moment came a lot of good and a lot of change, and it's part of my life story. And mm -hmm. this book, even though it's a guide for other moms who are curious about cannabis, who don't know about the legal marketplace yet, at the same time, I. I really wanted to be relatable and I wanted to show, mm. you know, to, to, to illustrate my journey with cannabis and to show that really I have not been a long, long time enthusiast. This is something that came to me later in life and an appreciation that grew over time. And so I think that, that like adds some relatability for moms who are maybe not sure at this point about cannabis, but think it may be something that could, mm -hmm. you know, help them. Um, so yeah, words and all, I, you know, I, I, I definitely went into some of that, including my husband's cannabis um, for a long time and how I looked down on cannabis really because of of how I saw him self-medicating in a way that wasn't very effective I'll yes and way. you know it's interesting because when I was talking to a friend about the backstory here about your husband getting really dependent on it of course I mean I can imagine you might imagine what they said to me they said but you can't get addicted or dependent on marijuana and I said well I don't think that's the case and so what what is the story with that you know, that's something that in the cannabis community itself is still being discussed mm. and figured out. Um, honestly, you know, if you ask uh, addiction specialists, they will also have lots and lots of different opinions on it. So, mm. you know, where I've I've come, what I've come to understand from the science that's available and from a lot of anecdotal evidence, you know, for people from people who have been consuming cannabis for years, is that, you know, there is a component of physiological and mental dependence for cannabis that isn't anything like alcohol or you know opio opioids or opiates um, or you know heroin or you know many of these very addictive substance nicotine even any of these very very mm. addictive substances that we know it's not like that but there is some degree of dependence you know if people are consuming cannabis very, very regularly in order to feel a certain way or in order to change how they feel um, for the better, that can be a little bit of a slippery slope. And I do talk about, you know, intentionally consuming cannabis to change the way I feel, but it's all about, you know, being mindful of how much I'm consuming, when I'm consuming, what my, you know, intentions are behind it. And I think that if, if we can be really, really aware of that, then mm. the risk for dependence is pretty low for most people. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, can, you can become dependent on cannabis just like you can become dependent on, you know, so many different things that we use in our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, for my husband, he went to rehab, I say in the book, and it's not like he was detoxing or anything like that. You don't detox from cannabis. You might, you know, feel a little off for mm. you know a week or two if you are a regular user and then you stop but he had to basically recalibrate his relationship to it he had mm. to find some other tools for coping some healthy self-care tools to go along with cannabis eventually and then actually he's been through an interesting dance with it now he abstains altogether <laughs> but um mm. but you know and i just i feel like there's a spectrum of the ways that people consume cannabis and a spectrum of ways that we can have a relationship with it and i'm all about conscious intentional use but you know it's also possible to you know to overuse it i don't want to shy away from that 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to ask if, if it's at all a, any issue between the two of you, for, because there are there are partnerships where one drinks alcohol, one doesn't. And, you know, one might enjoy cannabis and one doesn't. But in your case, is it ever difficult for him? I mean, how did the two of you reach this point where you are such an advocate and you you know, are such a proponent of weed, and yet he absolutely has learned, as I've just heard from you, that he needs to not have any. You know, it's just one of the greatest ironies of our of our <laughs> lives. We've been through such a dance with it, you know. When we first met, he was the consumer and I was the abstainer, and at various points we've both been consumers, and now I consume and he abstains. It's just, you got to communicate. I think that's the main thing. We, we keep talking about it. Yeah, you know, and we—it's uh, been an ongoing conversation, and I check in with him regularly, and I'm also discreet about my consumption. But that's also because I live—you know—we live at home with our two kids, and yeah. I'm not—you know—I'm not smoking on the couch or anything like that. I, you know, I'm discreet about the way I consume, and I think that helps. But you know, mm-hmm. of course, conflicts have come up, and then we have to readjust. But right mm-hmm. now, I think we're in a good place. Yeah, and you know, I loved what you wrote in the book. This also is fairly early on. I'm going to just quote you here. But as with so many things in life, the line between abhorrence and acceptance is much finer than we all might like to think. We humans are sure that we're sure about so many things until we're not. For me, cannabis was one of those things. And that's the end of your quote. Mm -hmm. And I feel so strongly about this because sometimes a really strong reaction in someone to something, you know, if you have a really strong negative reaction, indicates a lot of energy there. And that's also what's really funny and also very honest about the way you approach your book because you have this this backstory, as I mentioned before, uh, of a partner with some issues with cannabis, with your own dislike of cannabis, and here you are now this cheerleader for cannabis. I know. It's just it's just a funny thing. Like I, I have to be humble about my choices at this point, you know. <laughs> because right, cause you never know. Because <laughs> we change. We change yes. and, and you know, I accept that as part of being human. Like you yeah. you know, living things grow, right? Yes, that's perfect. Um, So, okay, so let's dive in here. What do people usually get wrong about weed? Let's just go with it. Like, what are the tropes and what are the the stereotypes that so often people believe about weed and weed use? Yeah, great question. I think that um, the the biggest one is just the lazy stoner, you know? (laughs) Um, You know, there are many people who think that, okay, sure, it's fine for relaxing once in a while, but if it's a regular part of your life, you're going to you know, drop out of, of your work and not show up for your kids and all that sort of thing. And, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Honestly, it's been really interesting to me since I started the, the journey of writing this book and it's since it's been out and, and received out there in the world by the, the mom community, as we put it. <laughs> um, so many moms have come out and said, Cannabis helps me be productive. Cannabis mm. helps me meet all of my responsibilities. It helps me, you know, show up better for my my job and my kids and my partner and myself. That's huge. You know, we show up for everybody else in our lives, moms, and sometimes mm. it can be really hard to show up for ourselves. So, you know, I truly truly find that as well that I'm a more productive and and happier person with cannabis in my life. So, 
that lazy stoner stereotype is one thing. And I, I think I, I would dispel that, you know, that myth a little bit by talking about just the variety, the spectrum of ways we can use cannabis and ways um, and, and different kinds of cannabis products. Mm -hmm. There are some that will make us super relaxed and want to, you know, <laughs> watch Netflix and fall asleep, which is great sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then there are other formulations, other strains, other, you know, combinations of different cannabinoids and terpenes that can really give us a boost to productivity and energy and then everything in between. So that's a big one. That's a big stoner's, you know, stereotype is that it makes you lazy. <laughs> right. Or that you're kind of dropping out of something. I think that's that bigger picture of you're dropping out and tuning, tuning out with, with marijuana, whereas in your book, I mean, and there's so much to learn there. I'm still trying to absorb all of it, but even the CBD THC thing, which is something I didn't even understand, which I'll have you cover in a second, but this idea that you can kind of use different elements of the plant to bring out what you want to bring out in yourself. Yeah, and it's fascinating. And that's one reason I truly fell in love with cannabis from an intellectual standpoint, I would say, even before I fell in love with it from a, a personal consumption standpoint. Like I was writing as a freelancer a bit about cannabis before um, really experimenting much myself at, with the legal marketplace. And I realized that, you know, there are just so many possibilities. Cannabis science is in its infancy. Mm -hmm. um, and yet we know so much already about how different products and modalities, ways of consuming affect people differently. Um, so, yeah, that's just like that's a fascinating aspect of, of this plant. And one reason I love it. Yeah. And, you know, when do you think the canna, the canna mom community really came out. I mean, I'm sure there were always can of moms. I mean, I remember when I first moved to Seattle, a friend of a friend talked about making, you know, pot cookies and she had a little kid. And I remember this is me back in 2006, I think, being kind of appalled. How could you do that around your kid? And how could you have it in the house? I mean, truly. And now cut to I'm walking around with your book and my daughter who's 16. <laughs> this is so funny. My daughter went to the orthodontist today and I had the book and she came out from her appointment. She said, Mom, you can't just have that book with you. <laughs> That's so funny. I love it. Oh, I love that my book is provoking discussion. <laughs> From a teenager even, you know, like the teenagers are the ones who are supposed to be more relaxed about that. Right, right. I mean, you know, they're, they're subject to conditioning too around the plant yeah, and, yeah. and the stereotypes are still out there. The negative assumptions are still out there, but that's what I'm hoping to do with my book is, is just to, to, to counter some of those or to provide another perspective, to provide this like what I see as healthy, conscious, uplifted, you know, choice, a choice to mm, consume mm -hmm. something. Um, yeah. So that's the way I see it. The can of mom community, you know, when did it, when did it become like, from what you understand, when did it become sort of a place to be? Right. You know, I think it's new. It's really new, um, at least on social media in this more public way. And um, in the last year or so, I've been amazed at the, the number of cannamoms I have found on Instagram in particular um, mm -hmm. and the numbers that are emerging daily. And I, I get DMs almost daily from people saying, I'm coming out of the green closet now. 
<laughs> and I'm going to make my first post about, you know, about how I'm a mom who enjoys cannabis. And I just love that. I think that um, right now is the moment, you know, mm -hmm. like the stigmas are falling away. They're still there, but they are starting to dissolve. And of course, our legal situation is progressing very rapidly across the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many states, how many states are currently have legalized it? So there are 36 medical states, and mm -hmm. of within those 36, 18 of them now have uh, have adult use legalized. Now, not all of them have an actual adult use market set up yet, but they mm -hmm. have legalized or and are either in the adult use market or in the process of creating one. Do you think that um, that this was going to be the outcome? Do you feel like people were pretty optimistic years ago that this was the direction our country was moving in, or did it seem insurmountable to get weed more mainstreamed? You know, that's a great question. I think that, you know, in the 70s, if you look at opinion polls, they, mm. I don't remember the exact numbers, but they are very low in favor of legalization, even though a lot of people actually <laughs> smoked pot in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and steadily since then, it's just like, there is just been a steady increase of, uh, you know, numbers of people who are in favor of legalization. Slow but steady for a mm -hmm. long time. But in the past couple of years, I'd say like three to four years, th those numbers have just grown and grown and grown. And, mm -hmm. and now, I mean, the latest poll that I have seen, uh, somewhere in the 90% range of Americans think that medical should be legal, medical marijuana mm -hmm. should be legal, and somewhere in the range of 61% of Americans surveyed said that they think you know, all uses should be legal for adults. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of progress. It is. Um, do you feel were you ready when you wrote the book to become the voice of this? I mean, did you kind of ease into this idea that this was now going to become sort of a platform for you and you were going to become expert or did that part take you by surprise? You know, it's been interesting. Um, I wrote about cannabis before writing the book, and I wrote about mm -hmm. parenting before writing the book, but bringing them together in a book itself has been <laughs> has been really interesting, and I don't think that I was very public before mm. as a freelancer, um, even though I was writing about cannabis, so clearly someone who had interest could could figure out that I was probably an enthusiast or consumer myself, but mm. I wasn't I wasn't very public about it. And since the book has come out, it's <laughs> it's been really interesting. It's been a ride. <laughs> However, I don't see myself as the voice for Ken Moms. I see myself as one of many voices. I have the only book out there right now, that's true. But there are organizations and courses and, you know, hmm. tons of social media influencers that are all sort of geared towards this can mom space right now. So mm -hmm. I see myself as part of this group of, you know, of, of moms on the front lines saying, hey, it's okay. Like, we don't have to have these stigmas, all this shame about it we can be good moms, good partners, and cannabis lovers at the same time. Yes, and actually I pulled some quotes from your some, from some of the moms that you quoted, and I just want to re read these aloud so people can get a sense of what the feedback is. So here is a quote from Jessie Gill, who is a cannabis nurse and founder of MarijuanaMommy.com, and she has a lengthier quote, but I'm just going to pull out this part. Quote, I strongly believe it makes me a better mom. Cannabis slows down my thoughts. It helps me be more present. I'm not thinking of the million things I have to do. And then there is um, there's a nice quote by Jenny, mom of one in New Hampshire. She says it's it's, you know, menopause made orgasms meh 
and cannabis <laughs> brings them back with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. And then the last one I want to share, because I do want to lead into this for race privilege and weed momming, Kania or Kania from Michigan said this, quote, just because some of us use cannabis, it doesn't make us bad mothers. I believe cannabis makes me a more patient and understanding mother. So mm-hmm. those are some of the the really important takeaways from your book, which is that you can you can be a good mom and you can take care of yourself with cannabis. And and there are so many varieties of getting it and types and you have such a extensive guide in there about which kinds to use for what your purposes are and that is like really helpful good i'm so glad because honestly i didn't know where to start when i um, began experimenting with the legal marketplace myself and Mm -hmm. i went to a dispensary and felt totally overwhelmed by the choices oh my gosh i can imagine right you know that if you've been inside a dispensary these days you know that choices abound (laughs) so yeah I, i wrote it in for many, many different reasons. I would say, you know, getting people acquainted with the legal marketplace is absolutely a big part of it. And then the cultural conversation is another piece. And I'm sh- and I know you want to talk about that. Yes, too. yes, yes. And yeah. you do cover so much. And I just want to some of the smattering of that is the history of marijuana, um, how to know if you have a problem, legalizing pot and, and this really important one, which is the race privilege and weed momming. So did you realize that you were going to have to devote some time to the effect of the the criminality of marijuana in non-white populations like in black and brown populations yes i think because of being a a cannabis freelancer for a few years and being in generally progressive spaces online i would say um, i was very aware of of that issue and the fact that um, there would be some uh, skepticism or criticism even potentially of me as a white woman writing this book you know the, mm. the first woman to write a book about you know cannabis and moms and, and and almost some people would say glorifying it or saying you know mm. yeah this there this, this is a net good okay yes it is a net good I believe but we do have a big problem that mm. there are 40,000 cannabis prisoners still you know languishing in prisons all across America for often things as simple as possession Mm-hmm. And that is just wrong. There's no, there's no way that I can be a champion of the legal marketplace that's emerging now and ignore that fact. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't thought much about this until I was explaining it to a friend. I had thought about the idea that, you know, it's sort of this, maybe it's a circular type of argument, but it's very useful to look at. You could say, oh, you know, here's this blonde white woman writing about this you know obviously she gets the best end of the deal and you know what about all these people who are incarcerated and people who have been punished and get punished now for possession who don't have this privilege right Mm -hmm. but you could also see that you're writing the book and normalize helping to normalize pot will have sort of a not just you but everyone I'm not trying to say that you're the only one I understand that you're really respectful about that but the trickle down effect so that we all understand that it can be used in life without criminality and that that will hopefully move the needle further to making it legal in more states, which will hopefully help with the incarceration issue, which will hopefully filter down and and, and remove this race privilege a little bit. 
And that is when, that's my hope. I certainly hope that the increased normalization of cannabis, you know, responsible cannabis consumption by everyone, including white moms, <laughs> is going to mm -hmm. help push that needle because, mm -hmm. you know, if, if white moms are doing it, <laughs> the so, so conventional <laughs> wisdom might go, right? It doesn't have to be something you're so afraid of. Right. And it's not something we need to lock people up for. Right. And so if white moms are doing it, like it, it's got to be the most normal thing, right? Because I mean, if they're doing rosé all day, then, you know, why not some cannabis, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, when you think about, you know, I know that a lot of people in, in the surveys that you cite in your book, one of them showed, I think, 40 percent of people who are using cannabis are doing so for pain. And I think um, if I recall, yes, then we've got anxiety as a 20% use. And then for sleep insomnia, it's about 11%. But what I didn't realize was that you can actually make sex and orgasms that much better or more um, frequent by using cannabis. So can you talk a little bit about what you've learned? Yeah, I can. Um, and I just also wanted to address something that you mentioned just a moment, just now in this question, which is sort of the ways that people are consuming cannabis or the reasons mm -hmm. people are consuming cannabis, I should say. Um, and my book does not cover medical uses in depth. It, mm -hmm. it touches on them. But it's not just fun, you know, recreation, adult use that I'm talking about either. I'm talking about kind of this middle space between medical and pure fun. I'm talking about this wellness space in the middle that can be enjoyable and can be pure fun, but it also can be, you know, helping to treat a condition like addressing pain, as you were just saying, or mm -hmm. dealing with anxiety. So I think that these two buckets of medical and recreational cannabis are they make sense from a regulatory framework, but they don't really make sense from the perspective of the ways people are actually consuming. So I did want to get that that across in my book that I am using cannabis and so many moms are using it for these wellness reasons. I, I, I sleep better. Um, I have less anxiety. I also have better sex. Is that just mm -hmm. fun or is that also wellness? I think it's everything. Right, right. And especially as people get older and there's, you know, this idea of women maturing and going through menopause or perimenopause and feeling like their bodies are not understandable anymore and so seeing that quote that I that I referenced earlier about the woman in menopause finding her sense of sexuality to be enhanced and better because of her cannabis use was really heartening I do yeah I find that as well even though I'm not in the menopausal stage yet but you know on the horizon if we're lucky right yeah. it's, it's gonna come one day and you know I think that Cannabis can be particularly helpful around these transition points, these big transition points in um, a mother's life. And one of the first one is obviously becoming a, a parent mm -hmm. and going through those early years of really intense parenting when your kid, you know, child or children are small and just need your help so, so much of the time. And our physical bodies are so wrapped up in that. For me, at least, sex did not feel very appealing at that time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's, a, you know, that's one particular way that cannabis can, can help us get out of our minds, ease our to-do list, you know, let go of the to-do list for a little bit. Cannabis enhances um, sensation, physical sensation, and the five senses, which, mm -hmm. you know, as we know, plays a huge role in our you know, arousal and communication with a partner. Um, so there, definitely in that earlier transition, and then later on in adulthood, in the, the menopausal transition, I think that cannabis can again be very, very helpful for 
you know, once again, tuning into one's own body, which just sounds so simple. And it's so hard for most of us to actually do. Right. Yes, for sure. And and I did see that quoted a bunch. And I relate to this too, that idea of being present with your children and not being able to maybe shut off the chatter or the list going in your head or the worries. I mean, so many of us have that. And I think that as mothers, uh, that's that's pretty common. And to be able to think about honing in on the the activity you're doing with your kid or being at peace with yourself for not being with your kid at that moment and maybe doing something else right Mm -hmm. that's really powerful and that does kind of increase your quality of life it really does and it's just it's all about creating an intentional life and I think that there are many ways to do that you don't have to consume cannabis to create an intentional life Mm -hmm. but that's it's one tool for me in, mm-hmm. you know, in this plethora of tools that I have, I have yoga, I have meditation, I have therapy, I have, you know, walks in nature, all mm-hmm. these, you know, really supportive things from, for me and everyone, you know, I encourage to find their own, whatever works for you. But for me, cannabis is one of those things that helps me mm-hmm. tune in, helps me be more present, helps me actually pay attention to what my body's asking for, needs and wants. And then, yeah, when I'm, when I'm more content physiologically and mentally, I'm much more available for my kids too. Mm-hmm. You know, in our final moments here, what would you love to see in the next five years? Uh, you know, the effect of Canna momming ha- in the in the culture. Yeah. Well, what I want to see in the next five years, and gosh, am I hoping this is true, is federal decriminalization at the very least. Because, like we were saying earlier, no one should be in jail for cannabis. We do not need to be locking people up for possessing a plant. Um, so, mm-hmm. federal when decriminalization. When you say it that way, Danielle, when you say it that way, nothing seems more clear. Yes. Exactly. So that's that is first and foremost because I care about wellness and I care about you know moms having a you know better time parenting and all that stuff. I care about it a lot, but fundamentally, like none of this is actually okay if there are still people being arrested or still you know people be serving time. So that's huge. And I don't even care if most states don't want to set up an adult use marketplace. Just stop mm-hmm. arresting people. Stop mm-hmm. putting people in jail. So that, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's huge. And then beyond that, you know, if we see some kind of, you know, actual uh, interstate commerce open up or a federal full on legalization, that would be fantastic. But that to me is icing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then besides that, I would like to see cannabis. Um, I would like to see the stereotypes diminish, continue, continue to diminish mm-hmm. as they are. I would like to see um, people understand cannabis as a viable alternative to alcohol on, you know, on the sort of simplest level, mm-hmm. um, but also as something that can actually help them live a better life, live a fuller life. Um, if they take the time to learn about it, to educate themselves and to, you know, read some books, maybe mine, maybe <laughs> a bunch of other great ones out there. There are so many great books on cannabis mm-hmm. and just to welcome it as part of our lives. You know, we can normalize cannabis in a responsible way and it doesn't have to be a big, scary thing. So mm-hmm. that's my hope. Yeah. And, and what's next for you? What, what are you working on now? 
Yeah, well, right now I'm doing some freelancing. I'm doing some freelance copywriting as well, um, continuing to talk about my book, too, and I'm invited on podcasts and fun things like that. And um, book-wise, I have some ideas, but I don't have a proposal in the making yet. Um, mm -hmm. Potentially a Weed Mom 2.0 down the road. I was just going to ask. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to put you on the spot, but I was going to ask you. You know, do you feel like there's another volume out there? I think that there is because, you know, only because this landscape is changing so quickly. It's cannabis, you know, they say that one year in cannabis is like seven years in the rest of the world <laughs> in the sense of just how quickly things change and how much we're learning, how much the science is progressing. So, yeah, I do feel like updates could be possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so for, for people who want to find you, shout out, you know, your social media handle and, and, and what kinds of things you do there and where people can find you in general. Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram at Danielle Simone Brand and love hanging out with Ronit there. <laughs> <laughs> love seeing your stuff there, yeah. <laughs> um, and on Instagram, I'm the most active around my book and it's, it's a combination of education about responsible use um, and, you know, really just sharing little tidbits from my experience as a yoga teacher for a long time and my life as a parent. I'm just trying to help promote education and to normalize responsible use and just to show people that it can be done. Yes, and, and your book is so inviting and informative. It just kind of really, it soars, I feel, like with the information and your approach and the way you've organized it. It's just like a home run. Oh, thank you so much. I, I, that means a lot to me. I, I, it's definitely my, my book baby, and mm -hmm. I put a lot into it, so I appreciate that. Yeah, and it's really beautiful. It's, it's really well done. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I know there's so much other stuff to look at in the book, and I, I hope that people who are interested in the subject and, and found this conversation to be intriguing will go pick up a copy because there's a lot to learn. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Renate. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode, photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening.